morning. I hope you guys are uh, enjoying the crazy weather. It's great seeing you all. And uh, for those visitors, I, I think I met you guys on the way in. So uh, if I didn't, please stop on the way out. We would love to reach out to you during the week as well. Uh, hopefully you grabbed a gift bag. Um, there's little great cards. If you want to fill out your contact info, I'll text you this week and, or email you or whatever and just to say hi and see if you guys have any questions or whatever. But uh, it's great to be in the house of the Lord, right? Like, like I mean, that, that worship was awesome. So thank you, Jonathan and Tim and Kylie and Warner. Like, that's, that's awesome. Um, and th- that's why we gather here, right, is, is to celebrate God together. Uh, that's not something, I mean, well, certainly not something I can do on my own because uh, I have zero talent when it comes to that. Um, but even, like, none of us can, like, by ourselves, worship in the same way that we can worship together. And so that's what we're doing here today. That's, that's why we come before it. And we're going to be reading, well, I mean, Lawrence just read it, right? Like, Jesus is the good shepherd. Our creator is the good shepherd. And I know we've kind of heard those words before, and I hope that today as we unpack this, um, we're going to kind of reaffirm why we're celebrating him, why we celebrate our God in a way that's, that's unashamedly celebratory, right? I mean, we're, we are thrilled about who God is and what he's done on our behalf, not because we just like religion, not just because we, we like rules and, and we like to, uh, you know, um, beat ourselves up about sins or anything like that. Like, that's not it. It's that, it's that we genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is a shepherd, that, that he leads us, that we are, by implication, dumb sheep. <laughs> if you got a shepherd guess what you are? <laughs> and that's everybody. That's all of us, right? Like, like we are his sheep. And so what we're going to see here today is that Jesus is going to launch off of this, uh, the story in uh, John chapter 9. We're going to back up to uh, just a couple verses that you guys read this week. Um, and, we're, and he's going to launch into this, and he's going he's to present a contrast. So before he explains what he is as the good shepherd, what the characteristics are of the good shepherd, He's going to tell you what the characteristics are of the bad shepherds, <laughs> the fake shepherds, the imposters, those who have failed to lead the sheep, those who, who have fallen victim to sin. And, and so he's going, to, he's going to present these two contrasts. One are people who are intending, have, have ulterior motives, but then he's also going to make this contrast between him as the shepherd and, and somebody that's just being hired. And he's going to build this contrast between both of these. And then he's going to explain what it is to be the good shepherd. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. So before I jump in, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. God, this picture that Jesus paints for us this morning is, um, is just pure love. And... It presents you in a way that I think we all need to be reminded of. That you love us. More than that, that you define love. That the love that we seek and pursue in this world is but a shadow of your love for us. And so God, I pray that this morning as 
as we unpack your word, that you would impress that upon our hearts. Help us to know what it is to be loved by you. In the name of your son we pray, amen. This might be a hard one, guys. Um, because I don't, I know this is going to sound weird, I don't, uh, I'm a logic guy. I'm a puzzle piece guy. There's not a lot of love in that. <laughs> it's just, it's just the, the shape, this doctrine fits in well with this doctrine, and I, and I, and I, I get it, and it, it makes sense to me. It's, it's the most coherent, cohesive um, story of, of humanity and redemption that, that I have found, frankly. But that doesn't really mean a lot. That's very stale. That's very stoic. That's very cold. And our God is this God of love. And when I read this, it impacts me significantly because I genuinely don't think about, I know this sounds weird, but I don't think about God's love as much as I should. And I don't think we all do because I think if we were motivated, if we saw and relished and, and just dwelt in the love of God, I think our motivations would be different. I think our lives would be different. I think, I think how we would see the, the situations and the chaos that's, that's all around us, how we would interpret that would be different because we would know that he is our shepherd and he is leading us through the chaos. All right, so... He, this doesn't just start in a vacuum, right? We're bouncing back and forth between small groups and your own individual studies and then here, right? So last week you read chapter 9, and it was Jesus heals the blind man. We're going to back up to chapter 9, verse 34, just to get a little bit of context. Um, sorry, I'm going to build up a little bit more context before we get to 34. Um, and so this man's been born blind, and Jesus heals him. And this guy goes uh, before the religious leaders, and, and they don't really accept this, and they're struggling. And the, the religious leaders, okay, I'll just early disclaimer, they're the fake shepherds, right? And this is kind of what, where Jesus is going to make this comparison. And so um, what their response to this man who's been born blind, who's never seen in his entire life, Jesus heals him. And they go to him, they go to his parents. They're trying to figure out, like, is this real? Did this really happen? And in the midst of this, the man is thrilled. He's, he knows he was born blind. He knows he's never seen. His parents know that he was born blind, but his parents are genuinely afraid of the religious leaders. And then the religious leaders basically just scoff them, just ignore them. And they say, uh, it says in verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. And so what that means, cast him out, that's excommunicate. That's what they did. And this is, this is sadly the power that, that religious leaders and churches have had over people, over the sheep, where they went, no, 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 I'm the gateway to, to the cross. I, it, if, you're, if you're not part of this, if you're not following the rules, I can cast you out and affect your eternity. Nothing has been more of a lie of religion that has ever been spoken. Because your relationship is between you and the Father, the Creator. And so this is what they do. They go, well, fine, if you don't, if you don't like what we think about your restored sight, you can't have any more sacrifices. You can't come to the temple anymore. That, that's, that's a curse. He's done in that day. 
And so that's their response to him. And then what we see um, in chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus finds him after this has happened. And it says, Jesus said to him, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And so this sets us up into chapter 10 because Jesus is going, This man who was blind now sees. You who thought you saw, you're blind. That's the irony, right? That these people who thought that they were leading the sheep, that they were leading this church, that they were leading the synagogue and leading these people into worship were so concerned about their own position, their own identity, what they had. They couldn't be wrong. We talked about that last week. They couldn't be wrong. So if they were wrong, then they'd be wrong. And nobody likes being wrong. And so they held and they went, if I have to be right, then you didn't have your sight restored. <laughs> And Jesus goes, you're not seeing the work of God right before you. And so this leads Jesus into the discussion of what is a good shepherd? What is it? Who is Jesus? Who are these religious leaders whom these people had, had, been, um, uh, you know, had been following their entire lives, right? They, they, this guy certainly knew these religious leaders. He'd probably see them walking by in the markets and all this stuff. You probably, I don't know, but you probably couldn't talk to them. Like, I'm sure there was quite a significant amount of separation, maybe a little bit of celebrity status. So they would have known, and then he would have been casted out by them. That's huge. And so that's what leads us this morning to look at what these fake shepherds are. And this is where Jesus starts in chapter 10. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. So, I'm going to... Nobody in here is a shepherd, right? Okay, all right. So, just for a little context here, right? Um, so, they had these sheepfolds, okay? Multiple families would store their sheep in one sheepfold, and they would hire somebody and... And there would be somebody that was guarding the gate. And, and then the sheep would be there at night. The shepherds would come during the day and lead the sheep out and walk around, let them get some pasture, right? Let them eat and then bring them back. And then they'd go home and sleep or whatever, right? And the thieves and robbers, it took me a while to get this because I, I, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me until I was doing a little bit more studying. But like, like what do you steal from a sheep? You, you, you steal their, their, that's not their skin, but their wool, right? You steal their wool. Like, that's, what they, that's the benefit of them. And so they would steal the sheep. They would shorn them. Lots of words here I don't normally use, right? They would, they would take the wool, and they'd put the sheep back, right? And so in the morning, the shepherd would come back, and here's a, 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 shor a shorn sheep. <laughs> I didn't really plan that part of the sermon. Right? Well, whatever it is, right? So this is what they would have. And so they were thieves, they weren't stealing the actual sheep. They were stealing what they could get something. They could get something from the sheep. You see, that, that's the plague. That's the thieves and the robbers. They were more concerned about their own self-interest. They were, what could I get from them? Money, recognition, accolades? It doesn't matter. 
The, the ability to walk through the marketplace and have people move out of your way? That's, that's what they were stealing. And so Jesus says, these are fake shepherds. His words are extremely accusatory here. But they're not unique. If you go back to Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, in verse 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And look at, look at what he says happens. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. No real shepherd, that is. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. God calls us my sheep there, right? He says, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. You see, the implications of these fake shepherds is disastrous. It's disastrous, and we see it today. We see people who have left churches because of leadership, not because of sin, not because of just failure of, of a sinful humanity that we all have, but, but in, a, in a way that is desirous, that is fleecing the sheep, that is stealing from them, that is trying to gain something from the sheep. Instead of being the shepherd and caring for them, Jesus criticizes them and goes, you're just in this for your own gain. And we've seen this over and over again, don't we? And it's got to break God's heart. Because these are the under-shepherds. These are, these are the people that he's entrusted this with. And what does he say? He's like, they're my sheep. They're not your sheep. I'm just letting you care for them. But they're my sheep, and you've scattered them. The passion that Jesus has for his sheep here is clear. God's passion, back in, when Ezekiel was prophesying this, was clear. He loves us. And see, and this is what's so sad, right? It's because the world, much of the world, has rejected Jesus and God, because he looks at these under-shepherds, he looks at these fake shepherds and goes, I want nothing to do with that if that's the representation of God. That's the sad part. That's why there's accusations of hypocrisy and all of these things and failures over and over again, because it's, it's, this, it's this responsibility to tend to care for the sheep more than you care for yourself. And we, as people, will never get it perfect. But that doesn't mean 
that were fake shepherds. There's a difference, motivations. And these, these Jewish religious leaders, their motivation was, as we talked about last week, not to be wrong, to preserve their place, to preserve their status, to maintain the status quo. And Jesus goes, what about God? What about worshiping him? And so Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 2. He says, but he who enters the door, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, right? The shepherd doesn't have to hop the fence at night and go steal the wool. He just walks in through the gate. It says in verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. Look at this. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is beautiful. Jesus says, this is the true shepherd. This is what the true shepherd does. Now, like I said, multiple families had their sheep in here, right? And so it was known that a shepherd could walk up, and I think they had like maybe trumpets or things or whatever or just their own voice, and they would call, and their sheep would come out of the fold. The other sheep would stay because they weren't their sheep. And so each shepherd would come up and call his sheep. Here's the beautiful part. He calls them by name. As far as I can tell, a sheep is a sheep. <laughs> right? But you know this. My, we have chickens. <laughs> I mean, this just happened the other day. We have chickens. We've got, we got 10 of them. And one of them is like, I don't know, it's losing like uh, its feathers. I don't know what that means. But it's like right here. And I come in and I go, hey, alert. I'm not responsible for the chickens really. I, anyway. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, one of the chickens <laughs> is losing its feathers. And Julie goes, which one? The bird. I don't know. It's a girl. It lays eggs. I know those two things. It has feathers, just not right here. That's all I know. Um, but she, I'm the, I'm, Callie's probably with me. She probably doesn't, couldn't name them either, right? Could you? Yeah. Um, the, other, the other kids and Melissa certainly can name each one, right? And, but this is the picture. Um, so maybe that means I don't love them. I, I, Maybe that makes me a fake shepherd, because all I want are the eggs, frankly. All right, anyway, we've, we've kind of derailed a little bit. But this is what Jesus, he comes in, he's like, he knows each one, he cares for them, he has the name for each one, he calls them out, he's counting them. He loves us. He loves us. And not only that, he, here, here's what's amazing. It says that, that, that they know his voice. We've seen this throughout John, getting to this point, haven't we? He goes, you don't know me, you don't understand me, because you don't, you don't know my father. You don't even know the language that we're speaking. You don't even understand this, because you're not of God. See, these sheep know his voice, and so when they hear truth, they go, that's truth. When they, hear, when they sing songs about mercy and faithfulness, they're like, yes. That's, that's nourishing to our souls. And so what we see here is that, that Jesus walks in front of them. Sorry, I, have, I just spoiled it 
obviously we're going to get to the fact that this is Jesus. But the, the true shepherd, it says that he walks in front of them. You guys, like, how cool is that? He just walks in front of them, and, they, and we follow him. Like, this picture is a beautiful picture. Um, the chickens will follow me if I have food. But at night, if I'm trying to put them in the pen or I'm trying to catch one, forget about it. Like, they, they don't, there's nothing that, yeah. I don't know if you ever tried to catch a chicken, but nothing makes you feel like an over 40-year-old man like trying to catch a chicken. Okay. Um, but he walks in front of them, and they follow. He's not pushing them. He's not corralling them. They aren't steer. It's not... It's, they, they follow him willingly. That's us, you guys. That's us as sheep. We're, we're to follow him because we, we hear his voice, we hear his truth, and we're like, we know that this is where we want to go. And so Jesus then gets into this, and it's, it's, it's remarkable because the next thing we expect Jesus to say is, I am that shepherd. And he does it. He says, I am the door. And we're like, what? What? <laughs> Where are you going with this? <laughs> and he spends this first section, before he gets into defining himself as the shepherd, he says, I'm the door. Look at what he says in verses 11, uh, sorry, 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, before Jesus says that he's the shepherd, which he's going to say next, he says, they come in and they go out of this pen through me. I am their access to an abundant life. I am their access to pasture. I am their access to nourishment. I am their access to life and life abundantly. He sets that. He didn't need to do this part. (laughs) These four verses, I don't know that like, he he very specifically inserts these in. He goes, before we get into the fact that I'm going to lead you around and take care of you and protect you, I need you to know that it's just me. I'm not just a good shepherd. I am the only shepherd. I am the door of the sheepfold. That's important. Because it's not as if there's another way out. There's not as if there's another place to abundance and nourishment. And we're going to see this as Jesus explains this more and more. He goes, it's through me and through me alone. That's the third I am statement. Okay, So Jesus has said, I am the bread. Then he said, I am the light of life. He also said he was water in there, but he didn't say I am to that one, which really kind of boggles my mind a little bit. But he says, bread... I'm light, and now he says, I'm the door. I'm the access. And he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. And this is going to be the tough part, because he's going to describe what it is, what it is to be the shepherd. And it's almost like this is an autobiography, right? I guess maybe it is in some semblance, but like, it's like Jesus is... is reflecting in the future about what's going to happen and and he's fully aware of what it means 
to be the good shepherd. He, he didn't like sign on to a list of responsibilities and go, I didn't realize it entailed this. It's not that. So he's very clearly knows what he's getting himself into. It starts in verse 11, John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. He loves us. He's not like a hired hand. So this hired hand person is not the same as the thieves and the robbers. The hired hand doesn't have any ulterior motives. He's just trying to get a buck. He's just working. And, and he contrasts that. He's like, that's not, that's not the good shepherd. That's not how, how I am is what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this to, to maintain employment. I'm not in this for anything. He's like, other than I love the sheep. And the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the real shepherd, the complete and whole shepherd loves the sheep. And he lays down his life for the sheep. It's a beautiful picture of what love is, isn't it? You know, we, we pursue love in friendships, in deeper relationships, marriage. And we, we think that that's the love that we'll see and experience. And we'll get tastes of it. We'll, we'll get little bits and pieces of it for times, but then there'll be times when we don't. The vast majority of our life, we won't. And Jesus says, this is love. This is real love. This is God-defined love, that he would lay down his life for the sheep. If you would turn over to Psalm 23. You know, oftentimes when we hear that, we think, I mean, I would die for my family. Like, I, I wouldn't have a problem doing that. But I can't guarantee that I would rescue them out of it. <laughs> I can guarantee I'd give it my best shot. That's all I can do, right? And that's all any of us can do. And that's, and that's it. And that's, and that's a good effort. 
and, we, and you would be applauded for trying your best. Jesus isn't trying his best. He's rescuing us. In fact, that word where it says that uh, he lays down his life for the sheep, I, I often I, I want to be re- really careful when I dig in this deep into very specific words, especially boring words like a preposition, like for. But that word for is unique there in the Greek. It's actually hyper, it's not para, which is what the, is mo- the general word for for. And so, and, and in general, that when, when he, John uses that word, it's about a sacrifice. It's about a sacrifice that's an effectual rescue. That's how he uses that word. Jesus isn't going to lay down his life for the sheep just to show how much he loves you. He's not just like dying, going like, see how much I loved you, right? <laughs> like that's not the point. He loves us. He's affecting our rescue. It's effective. He goes, I'm going to lay down my life, and you will be rescued. This is, this is the plan. This is what I'm going to do. And he says at the end, I lay it down. I'm picking it back up. Like, this is what is needed in order for my sheep to be protected. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And this is what he says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We sang that. I don't remember exactly what the words were. <laughs> I never do. But for his faithfulness, right? Well, it was, I don't know. We sang, some, what, what was it? <laughs> it was like, well, yeah, but it was like, you know, it was for his, to show his faithfulness. Something to that effect. Come on, people. You know I don't remember these things. I need to write them down while we're worshiping, but I'm worshiping. Um, it's for his, so we would know his faithfulness, so we would know who he is. It says, for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our shepherd, you guys. Francis Chan has this thing, and he does an incredible job of this. But if you're getting ready to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, okay, a little bit of darkness, scary. I mean, think about this. And maybe, maybe it's next week, right? Maybe, like, maybe you've gone through this. Maybe it's the dark nights of the soul. Maybe it's the struggles that you're anticipating or the things that are yet to come and you know this is going to happen. And, and what, what Je- the picture Jesus paints here is this, there's this darkness, enemies all around. And Jesus goes, come on, follow me. And he's not going to try to protect you. <laughs> he's not trying to protect you. He will protect you. You guys get that, right? Like, this isn't like, well, all I can guarantee you is I will die trying to protect you. That wouldn't instill any hope, no matter who that is, right, that's walking in front of me. But if it's Jesus saying, I will rescue you, and I will die, but you will be saved. Let's rock and roll. Let's watch it happen. Right? 
Why, why don't we do that? Why aren't we like, let's go? Like, let's, Valley of Death, next stop. That's, that's, that's what our shepherd leads us through. And he, I mean, Psalm 23 is just so incredible. And, and I know it's, it's super popular, um, maybe from the wrong movie, but it's a super popular uh, uh, psalm because it, it, it leads you into this place of going like, this is darkness and scary, but, but Jesus is there. And you're defenseless, helpless, hopeless sheep. It's not like Jesus says, okay, you grab the gun, you grab the sword, let's rock and roll, we've got an army. We'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. He, he says, you guys are fine, just follow me. And so he does. And what awaits Jesus as he's speaking these things by... We read in Matthew 26, verse 36. And then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You guys get that Jesus knew the, the, what he was signing on to. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, that he was like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. That emotion that we read that, that's real. Jesus knows the pain that is about to fall on him. Not just the physical pain, but the spiritual, the separation from God. He knows what is at stake here. And he goes, you know what? It's worth it for my sheep. This is the only path of salvation, of eternal life for my sheep. This is the road I have to go. And so he says to the Father, he goes, listen, I, I'm, I'm undone here. Sorrowful to the point of death. And he says, but not my will, your will, Father. And then when he's on the cross, verse 27, or chapter 27, verse 46, says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You see, commentators don't know how all that works, right? Like, that's a difficult statement. How does how Jesus, the Son of God, who's declared himself to be one with the Father, how, how does he feel forsaken at this point? He's covered in our sin. He's covered in our iniquity. He's taken all of that upon himself. And in, in that moment, the separation between the Father and the Son had to have been so great that he had never experienced that before. Because he's one with the Father. 
And now he feels this chasm. Sadly, it's the chasm between us and the Father that we feel often. Not at the same level that Jesus felt it at that moment, but where we feel distanced from God. And so this is what Jesus is going through on our behalf. And once again, this too was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is why we celebrate Jesus. Because he's our shepherd. Because he rescued us. Because he saved us. Because he alone could do it. He alone loves us in a way that nobody else loves us. He defines love. And so when Jesus says in John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, speaking of his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus goes, I'm going to die. I'm going to live again. He knows what the other side of this thing is. And yet despite knowing where he will be, what will happen He's still sorrowful to the point of death. He's still enduring this pain on our behalf. This is our shepherd. This is the true shepherd. This is the good shepherd. And Jesus alone can claim that title. In verse 19, Jesus says that there was, a, uh, it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, as they've said many times, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. I'm just going to, those are all like settings types of things. They're all like background, right? It's like character building in a book, in a novel, right? It's winter, He's walking in Solomon's colonnade. It's this beautiful imagery of, frankly, an eyewitness, right? Like, this is, this is historical fact. Like, those would not be, if we were just trying to conjecture about theological points, but that's not what it is. John is going, this is your shepherd, and this is what he was doing during Hanukkah. And that's the Feast of Dedication that they're talking about here. And the, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, is a celebration, right? And this is something that it's not prescribed in the Torah or anything like that. In 167 B.C., you had uh, the Romans basically come in and basically um, um, decimate, uh, not decimate, um, I forget the right word. Anyway, they, they um, put uh, sacrilegious things in the temple. Man, I can't. Desecrate. Thank you, Valerie. Um, so they, they desecrated the temple, and, and it ended up being this huge, massive military revolt, and, and they, they took over the temple. Judas Maccabee uh, did this and, and basically kicked them all out, and it was great, right? And, and so this is the celebration of it. And so this was meaningful to them, not on, the, not on what 
you know, it, it was that God brought back the temple for them. And so it was significant. And so this is where Jesus is. And so all of it is kind of this, it was a unifying event, which is ironic, right? Because Jesus is going, this should be a unifying time. This is where everybody's singing Christmas carols, right? I mean, they weren't, but you know, it's, it's that's not what I meant. But like, like for us, right? Like everybody kind of puts down, right? Like, like, yeah, yes. It's kind of this like, hey, we're all together in this, right? That's the season it would have been for them. Verse 24 says, so the Jews, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is his promise. He's like, if you're my sheep, you're my sheep. That's it. You don't need to be worried about not producing enough wool. (laughs) You don't need to worry about these other things or that I'm going to stop loving you. I am your shepherd. You are my sheep. Now follow me. We read that, that those verses in Ezekiel where uh, in chapter 34, if you go back there, um, after God provides this scathing rebuke, he then makes a similar promise. Look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And then he says, if you skip down to verse 22, he says, I will rescue my flock. And they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David, And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Write this down. Mark this section of your Bible. This is is our God. He seeks us out. He pursues us. Why are we scattered? Why are we in dark places? We're sinful, because we're rebellious, because we do dumb things, because we're sheep. But he searches us out. We're still his sheep. We're just lost. Jesus gives this beautiful picture of, of and he, he's talking to the, the, the Jews, and he's going, if you had 100 sheep and one of them goes straying away, aren't you going to leave the 99 and go get the one? He's like, of course you would, because you love your sheep. You want your sheep. He goes, I'm not going to leave you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. 
I will run you down. I will chase you down. I will find you. I will rescue you from wherever you're at. This is the love of the Father. This is the love of the Son. He talks about David. This, that prophecy that I just read, David had been dead. <laughs> He's not talking about David. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the son of David that's going to come. And he says, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be your shepherd. And he says in verse 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God. Didn't we read that last week? That's the promise. That we would have a relationship with God. That we would see him as our shepherd. and He would be our God. And we would love him, and he will love us. That's the promise. That's our shepherd. How incredible is that? Think about that, you guys. The creator of the universe, the one who set up all the laws and things and created everything that you see, he loves you. and He knows you. He knows your name. He cares for you. He thinks about you. That's our shepherd. That's who leads us into tomorrow, into next week. For some of us, we need to hear that. We need to, we need to know that we're not the shepherd, that we're sheep. So you need to lay down the authority you think you have in your life and go, I can't control tomorrow. Really? None of us can. We think we can. But we can't. And so we, we take a step and we go, I'm going to be a sheep. It's okay. So some of us need to know, get, be reminded that God loves you. That he's not sitting up there ready to whack you ready to smite you, send a lightning bolt down on you. He loves you. He sees you as his sheep, and he will lay down his life for you. He has laid down his life for you. I don't know where you're at, but this is love. This is love on a level that we will never experience on this side of heaven with the exception of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God.